morning, Bethel. Um, Our scripture reading for this morning is actually two texts, so if you want to put your finger in one um, and then be ready to flip to the second, you'll see the page numbers there on the front of your bulletin. So 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 16, and then Philippians 3, 1 to 14. And if you wouldn't mind standing with me in honor of God's word as I read, you can follow along. So 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 16, and then Philippians 3, 1 to 14. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer persecutor and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost." But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now flip to Philippians 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 14. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, I am no... Um, connoisseur of pop songs, Um, but there was one that caught my attention several years back, and I kept it in my iTunes, and I was reminded of it recently here. 
Um, it's sung by a, a girl that's uh, 29 years old, and when it came out, she was 25. It's called Invisible. Listen to some of these words. I take these pills to make me thin. I dye my hair and cut my skin. I try everything to make them see me, but all they see is someone that's not me. Even when I'm walking on a wire, even when I set myself on fire, why do I always feel invisible? Here inside my quiet hell, you cannot hear my cries for help. I try everything to make them see me, but everyone sees what I can't be. And then she says, sometimes when I'm alone, I pretend that I'm a queen. It's almost believable. So you're walking past people like that every day. And some of you might feel that way. Other, others of you might not directly relate, but let me just ask us a few questions here as we get started. What, what is the most determinative reality in your life? Maybe put a little more, bit more simply, what defines you? What defines who you are? What reality has the most sway over your life, over an average day? What truths or lies sound most loudly in your ears on a daily basis? Now, this might not be exhaustive, but we tend to be defined by one of a few things. And you'll see the outline in the bulletin, and it'll be up on the screen as well here. Um, this isn't original to me. I heard somebody kind of tick this off years ago, and it's stuck with me ever since. We're defined either by what we've done, what's been done to us, or what Jesus has done for us. Okay, so ask yourself, am I defined first by what I've done? And that can tend to go one of two ways, right? Failures or successes. Did you notice the two very different ways that Paul wrote of his pre-Christ self, his pre-Christian life? First Timothy 1 was all about his failures, from one perspective, Philippians 3, at least in relation to his Jewish background, he describes his successes, his resume. So first, the failures. How do you finish this sentence? I am dot, dot, dot. Have you ever, do you ever finish it something like this. And maybe we don't consciously do this, but this is, this is the way we feel on many a day. I'm a mistake. Maybe somebody told you that early on and it just keeps hanging on there and dogging you. I'm a failure. <laughs> How many of us are governed by that one? Failure as a student maybe in school, maybe a failure in work, in your in your vocation, failure as a spouse, failure as a parent, failure as a friend. I am dumb. I am so forgetful. I am single. I am divorced. 
I am overweight, I am ugly, I am unattractive, I am unemployed, I am so anxious, I am fearful, I'm an alcoholic, I'm lonely, I'm used goods, I'm sad, I am weak, I'm not self-controlled, I'm undisciplined, I'm unorganized, I'm irresponsible, I'm so selfish. So do you often hear from others or those voices in your mind, things like that? And then maybe something like, and you call yourself a Christian? Look at how you failed. What a pathetic fill-in-the-blank you are. Paul, flip in uh, 1 Timothy 1.13, formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. And then he says, I am the foremost of sinners. Paul believed Jesus was an imposter. He pursued and he killed Christians. He could have spent the rest of his life trying to make up for his sins and mistakes. He could have spent the rest of his life trying to pay for or make atonement for his failures. And we could spend our whole lives trying to prove someone wrong that spoke something like that over our lives. That we're not what they said we are. Or trying to prove to ourselves that we're somebody and not nobody, that we're not what we fear we might be. We can just be controlled by the need to make up for something we're deeply ashamed of, controlled by failure. We can also be defined by our successes. We can seek to be defined by our successes. Paul in Philippians 3, remember, we read it a little bit earlier, though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, humanly speaking, as a Jew, I was the poster child. If anyone has reason, I've got more. Look at my resume. We live in a meritocracy. Ever heard that phrase? (laughs) We fear failure. We fear not measuring up. We long to succeed, to prove ourselves, to get ahead, to win. We want an impressive resume. We want to hang our hat on our accomplishments. We want praise and approval. We, we scratch and claw and posture and strive to prove ourselves in the court of public opinion. And sometimes we actually get some traction and climb a respectable distance up the hill. So do you ever... Do you often finish the sentence something like this? I am successful. I'm disciplined. Maybe it's just that you look and compare yourself with someone else and it kind of makes you feel better because you're more disciplined. I am generous. I am frugal. I am sacrificial. I'm hardworking. I'm smart. I'm organized. I'm fit. I'm healthy. I'm responsible. I'm a servant. I am so sacrificial. I am trying so hard. I am selfless. And sometimes we can work really hard at portraying a certain image, your appearance, physical, emotional, social, vocational. And people do this on social media all the time, right? We try to define ourselves our image, our reputation, by the pictures and the angles and the best side and, you know, the this, that, and the other thing. You don't put the really ugly pictures up. You delete those. 
We try to buy our image. We try to construct it. We try to manage it because we want to look good. We want to look successful. But it's not only hard work trying, striving to make it in the meritocracy. It's also hard work promoting and protecting our image. If we define ourselves by our successes and we begin to fail, look out. Has this ever happened where whew, everything kicks into high gear when the threats come to expose you as not the success you need to be, want to be, will kick and scream against anyone or anything that threatens to knock us back down the success ground that we've gained. So are you defined by what you've done, your successes or your failures? But we can also be defined by what's been done to us. Now, for what it's worth, I'm not talking about the false victimization that has proliferated in our increasingly rights-oriented, entitlement, blame-shifting, litigious, someone-must-pay, therapeutic, everyone-gets-a-trophy, self-esteem culture. I'm not talking about the consistently tardy employee who claims to suffer from chronic lateness syndrome. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about real victimization. And I know that this could be a very painful subject for some of you. When we are victimized, abused, treated unjustly, it can have a defining effect on our lives. And we can be controlled by it. What's been said about you? What's been said to you? What's been done to you? be deeply wounded and scarred and the rest of our lives can be an attempt to avoid that same pain or shame or treatment or to escape the, the kind of groping, looming, choking shadow of what happened in the past. Child abuse, serious bullying, physical or verbal, emotional, sexual abuse, rape, assault, unjust treatment at work, racism, discrimination, prejudice. And we can finish that sentence something like this. I am used goods. I am dirty. I am powerless. I am helpless. I am second class. I am less than human. I am nobody. Is there hope? Is there an alternative? Is there a power to get out of the swirling vortex created by the sinfulness of others? Yes. Thank God, yes. That the third option is to be defined by what Jesus has done for you. Listen to Paul again in both of those texts. If you're still there, look at 1 Timothy 1. He admits what he was formerly. He doesn't gloss over it. He doesn't whitewash it. He owns it, and he can be honest about it. But he received mercy, and the grace of his Lord overflowed for him with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he just goes right to the gospel. He loves to say that there's a saying that's trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
That is the most defining reality in Paul's life, and he wants that to be the case for Timothy and all of us. And he says, of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. And then Philippians 3, look down at verse 9. To be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, my own resume that I could work up, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. It's a gift that depends on faith. And then in verse 12, he says that Christ Jesus has made him his own. So are you defined? And I don't mean just in our heads. This is Monday morning. This is like rubber meets the road. Are you defined by what Jesus has done for you? Well, this does assume something. It assumes that you've come to terms with who you are without Jesus. Okay, there's an incredibly important step between option one and two, options one and two, and option three. If we're defined by what we've done, meaning our failures, if we're unwilling to move on from this and be defined by what Jesus has done, it seems so humble and lowly, but it actually can be a kind of mutation of pride. If we think we've screwed up too much, sinned too much, we think Jesus is little. He's, he's too small to deal with my big mess. If, if we're unwilling to give up the failure narrative, it may be because we want to beat ourselves up more than we want to accept the fact that Jesus was utterly beaten up for us. Or maybe we want the pity and attention of others more than we want to, to embrace and be satisfied in the pity and compassion of God to give us a Savior. So if we're defined by what we've done, now our success is, what does that mean? Well, it probably means I know when I wander off into this ditch, it's because I want the glory. I want a little bit of credit. I want to be impressive and respectable. And I'm saying that my victory is more important to who I am and who I want to be than Jesus' victory. Ah! We shouldn't want that, you see? I can catch myself preferring that people look at me than look at Jesus. Think well of me than look, think well of Jesus. If, if we're more concerned about our reputation than we are about Jesus' name and reputation, then maybe we're being too much defined or wanting to be defined by success. And if so, we're way out of touch with our sin and our failure. If we think we've sinned little or We've had more success than failure. We think we only need a little of Jesus. Because, you know, we're pretty impressive, aren't we? Thirdly, if we're defined by what others... Well, second category. You know, the first one has two parts. Um, if we're defined by what others have done to us, or said to us, or said about us, and those things can and are horrendous in many cases. I, I'm not downplaying them at all, but listen. This is... I want to say this carefully, especially for those of you who've been very unjustly treated or abused. But listen, 
The only way to be free from being controlled by that past is to recognize that the evil of what's been done to us will never exceed the evil done by us. And I'm not by saying that saying that you deserved what happened. That's not at all what I'm saying. But listen, you and me, we tacked the infinitely worthy and perfect and sinless and undeserving Son of God to a shameful cross. There is nothing worse than that. But if we don't believe that, then what's been done to us will always loom larger than the cross. But the only true power to forgive what's been perpetrated against us is to humbly acknowledge what's been perpetrated by us. That horizontal focus, when it's replaced by that vertical focus, empowers us, enables us to not be controlled by someone who's sinned, even grievously, against us. And Jesus will deal with that. Either he's dealt with it on the cross, or he will deal with it in hell. So if we're controlled by what's been done to us, we need to see how strong Jesus is to save, even from horrific shame and things that have been done to us. So when we are defined by what Jesus has done for us, we're no longer defined by our failures. (laughs) No, we are valuable in God's sight. We're made in his image. We're new creations in Christ. We're no longer defined by our successes. I'm not better. I don't deserve God's mercy and blessing any more than the next person. My successes are loss, like Paul said, in view of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Listen to this quote by Al Mohler. He said, most Americans believe that their major problem is something that's happened to them and that their solution is to be found within. In other words, they believe that they have an alien problem that's to be resolved with an inner solution. What the gospel says, however, is that we have an inner problem that demands an alien solution, a righteousness that's not our own. So don't you want God to define you, who you are, not yourself, not others? He's the great reality. Who cares what other people think? People are like grass. They fade away. There's actually another set of I am statements that we need to listen to. And let's do this as we prepare for the table Because this is a reminder of reality. The reality that centers us, that needs to define who we are. So listen to a few of these. And even if the men who are going to be serving, if you could come forward now, um, just savor these texts. I am. So set all of our I am's out of the picture for now and listen to God's I am's. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So 
What is it that defines you? Let's not be defined by what we've done, whether successes or failures, what has been done to us, but defined by what Jesus has done for us. I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That should be our defining reality. He's loved you like no one else has ever loved you, like no one else ever could or will love you. He gave himself up for you. He went through hell for you. So therefore, I am, here it is, I'm accepted. I am approved in the court, the only court that ever matters. Who cares about the court of public opinion? I belong in the family of God. I am welcome. I am a son, a daughter. What if that was the most defining thing about us, the most defining reality in our lives? What if that defines who you are? What if that reality has the most sway over your life on a daily basis? Let's pray that that would be the case, and let's come to the table now and have this tangible reminder of what is real. (laughs) That Jesus dealt with our biggest problem, and now who we are is totally secure in him. So if you're not a Christian, if the gospel has never been real to you, this bread and juice won't make it real. You need to come to Jesus in faith. Turn from your sin, trust in Jesus. That's what will make the gospel real. He will make himself real to you. So if you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. Just let the elements pass. But I would encourage you, you're going to be on a hamster wheel trying to prove yourself until you come to Jesus. But for those of us who are in Christ... Let's come and be reminded of what's real and feed on this grace that defines and secures who we are. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your amazing grace. And we thank you for this tangible reminder that helps us remember what's real. Please make these things real to us so that we are defined by what Jesus has done for us. In his name we pray, amen.